Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. Welcome, everyone, to another installment from the Power of Love seminar that Dr. Jennings presented in Allen, Texas, back in early 2020. We're so glad you've tuned in. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. In our last show, Dr. Jennings reviewed elements of God's judgment as revealed in Scripture. We learned that the year 1844 was significant in the judgment process, but not in the way that many people from many religious denominations figured it to be. In time, they concluded rightly that the, quote, cleansing of the sanctuary, end quote, wasn't to herald the second coming of Christ, but rather his new work of judgment within the heavenly sanctuary. Today, we continue with that theme a bit and then move on to the subject of hell. What exactly is hell and what happens when it happens? I think you'll be amazed at what the Bible actually teaches on that subject. So, without further ado, here's Dr. Jennings. How did Satan set himself up in God's temple? How did he do it? By changing how we view God's law from design to imposed. Daniel 7, that little horn power, it actually says he will seek to change times, and laws. Seek to get us to change how we view God's law from design to imperial. And by presenting God as a dictator, cosmic executioner, the source of pain, suffering, and death, God's the one who's offended and wrathful and will punish you. We must give him the human sacrifice, the blood of a human sacrifice, in order for him not to kill us. Imperialism. The world goes into an age of darkness. The dark ages. And God's ability to cleanse his people is being obstructed because he cleanses us with the spirit of truth and love. If the spirit temple is the one defiled, how is it cleansed? Notice what Malachi says, 3, 1 through 3. This is referring to the same process as Daniel 8, 14, by the way cleansing of the sanctuary. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking to come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. What do those things do? They cleanse, they refine, they purify. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And I'll notice what gets purified at this time of cleansing. He will purify the Levites and make them like gold and silver. This cleansing process that is to happen is to happen in the hearts and minds of those who trust God to prepare us to meet him, to see him face to face, for we shall be like him. So who are the Levites? The priesthood of believers. So when is the temple cleansed? The significance of 1844. Since Adam's fall, God has been working to restore humanity to trust in himself. In Old Testament times, God would work to keep open avenue for Messiah. Satan was working to try and stop it. Jesus came to earth, and after he arrived at earth, Satan's no longer trying to close the avenue. He's here. He's trying to either kill Jesus before he can complete his mission or corrupt Jesus so he won't complete his mission. But Jesus completes his mission and restores the human species back to perfection in his own experience as a human being. After Jesus achieved the remedy, he ascends into heaven, sends the Holy Spirit to begin to apply what he achieved in the hearts and minds of people to prepare us to dwell with him. But Satan counterattacks by infecting humankind. This is the man of lawlessness setting himself up in God's temple by infecting humankind with this idea that God's law functions like human law. And the whole world now is worshiping a cosmic dictator 
that operates the universe in Satan's model. God was still working to win people to trust all through history, but defects were now fully removed in those who did trust God. Since 1844, Christ has been opening the records where names are stored, individualities, personhoods, so to speak, their souls, removing all residual defects. He is applying the template of his perfect character, purifying them so that when he arises, they will be sinless and perfect. He is also working in the lives of the living, you and me. He's working in our lives right now to achieve his healing in all who trust him, which requires that we reject the lies about him, eliminate them from our mind, including the imposed law lie. Notice the fifth seal of Revelation. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, we're in the sanctuary, the souls, that's the individualities, of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge, notice we're at judgment time, the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then, then at that time, each of them was given a white robe, symbolic of the cleansing of their character at that time. And they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed was complete the cleansing of the living saints. Why wait until 1844? Because Jesus needs to not only perfect the sleeping saints, but also the living saints. And that requires those of us alive on earth to understand the truth about God sufficiently to expunge the lies that have been told and so widely accepted and to experience the transformation of our hearts and minds. And thus, Revelation has a prophecy for this time Fear God and give glory to Him. So fear God. Be in awe. Be in admiration. This is not be in terror or dread. This is to be overwhelmed with His beauty and give Him glory. That means to reveal Him in the way you live your life because the hour in human history has come. The hour of His judgment has come. The hour in human history has come for people to finally make a right judgment about God and stop viewing Him as an imperial dictator and instead worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and all that in them is. Worship our creator, our designer, and our healer. Key learning points. The plan of salvation is the plan to heal sinners to sinlessness. Christ came as the second Adam to reveal truth and to procure the remedy. In his person, the species human, the human race was saved in the person of Jesus Christ, put right, justified with God. As long as we have one panda alive, pandas are not extinct. Because of Jesus' perfection as a real human, the human species was permanently and forever saved. Jesus directs now all the agencies of heaven for the application of his victory into all who will trust him to save as many specimens as are willing to cooperate. Those who trust, he transforms into his likeness. We become partakers of the divine nature, conformed to the likeness of Jesus, so that when he comes, we will see him face to face, for we shall be like him. What is the truth about the Bible's description of consuming fire and eternal burnings that are consistent with the scripture? We do not want to deny scripture yet also harmonizes with God's design laws, the law of love and the law of liberty. This is our goal. Let's include all the scripture. Let's see where it takes us. Let's look at the evidence. Let's see what's being described. 
and also understand how that works in conjunction with how we understand love works, because we know God cannot be saying we understand the law of liberty. Before we can look at the evidence, we know that you can't get love by threatening to torture people who don't love you. So there must be some other understanding that the Bible will give us to harmonize with law of love and liberty. So Isaiah 33, 14, the sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with the everlasting burnings? Some versions say eternal burnings. And I ask people, well, what is this describing? And most people say, well, that's hell. That's that place of eternal burning and consuming fire. But notice what the next verse, very next verse in Isaiah 33, 15 tells us who dwells there. Who dwells there? He who walks righteously and speaks what is right, who rejects gain from extortion and keeps his hand from accepting bribes, who stops his ears against plots of murder and shuts his eyes against contemplating evil. Whoa, the first time I read this, I was like a deer in the headlights. I was going, this does not compute. This is not what I have been conditioned and taught my whole life to believe. I was taught my whole life the people that are wicked, the evil are the ones in this fiery, tormenting, consuming place of eternal burning. But Isaiah is saying, no, 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 it's the righteous that are here. So I had to dig into my Bible and look a little closer. And I started to examine all the places I could find this language being used. And I found something very interesting. When Moses talked to God at the bush... The bush was described as consuming fire. But the bush didn't get burned up. When God came and gave the law at Sinai, the Bible describes this, that there was a consuming fire. But the mountain did not melt like a nuclear weapon hit it. When Solomon's temple was dedicated and God's presence came at the day of dedication, the priest cannot enter the temple because... The brightness of God's fiery glory was too intense for them. They couldn't tolerate it. But the building did not burn down. It says in Ezekiel that Lucifer, prior to his fall, used to walk among the fiery stones of God's presence. In Daniel chapter 7, it says, When the Ancient of Days takes his throne, rivers of fire come out from before him. And 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands are standing in this fire. It says in Hebrews 12, 29, and this is a big one, Our God is a consuming fire. In Revelation, it says that the new Jerusalem will not need a sun or a moon to light it because God's presence will be his light. And the lie of Satan that he's perpetrated on the entire world, regardless of denominational background, is the place you don't want to go and the place you don't want to be is the place of eternal burning and consuming fire. But the Bible tells us that place is God's very presence. The righteous are transformed just as Moses faced after 40 days in God's presence in the mountain, he comes down, what's his face doing? It's radiating something that looks like fire. But did Moses have third degree burns? Did his whiskers catch fire? No, but when the people saw his face, they shrank back. Why? Was it because they didn't have asbestos shields on? In other words, was it because of the physical heat? No, it wasn't because of physical heat. It was because this is the fires of God's glorious love and truth. And those whose characters and hearts are solidified in fear and selfishness, they can't tolerate the light of love and truth. 
it caused them pain. So Moses had to cover his face. And it says that the wicked, 2 Thessalonians 2.8, are destroyed by the brightness of Christ's coming. This is a very strange fire. Here we have fire that destroys the wicked, but heals and transforms the righteous. You see, this is because it's a fire that consumes sin. And what is sin made out of? If I get a piece of wood, is sin made out of wood? If I cut off your big toe, do I get a piece of sin? Sin is not made out of physical matter. What we call fire, known as combustion, rapid oxidation of physical matter, will burn physical matter. But sin is not made out of physical matter. You can't burn sin with physical fire. Sin is made out of lies and selfishness. Satan is the father of lies, and lies believed result in fear and selfishness. What is it that will consume, burn out a lie? Truth. What is it that will consume or burn out selfishness? Love. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and love. And at Pentecost, when the Spirit fell, they saw two streams or two forks or two tongues of fire. The fires of truth and the fires of love fell upon them, and no one got hurt. They were transformed. Well, once again, our time has flown by. We will pick up exactly where we left off on our next program. Until then, I invite you to stop by CommonReason.com for a lot of resources available to help you on your journey of discovery. CommonReason.com. This program was sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Together.